coming up on this week's podcast. So when we create gods, whether it's out of wood or stone or bread or the various things they used to use, or even out of our own imagination, the reality is they can't hear us. But our God is one who can hear us. And as we go before him, it's interesting that it talks about hearing our words, but also hearing our meditation. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's so Carl Nebbia uh, with today's message. ministering today, talking today from Psalm 5, and um, we're only going to cover the first three verses because that's all I can get through in the time that I have, realistically. Uh, but I think there's enough in those three verses to chew on, and I believe that God can, can speak uh, even in those parts. We are going to be reading today uh, from... Uh, the King James Version, also known as the Authorized Version. All those other things that you've been reading have never been authorized, but that one was authorized. And uh, fortunately, uh, we had some people that knew what the authorization process was, and they gave us that. But the King James is particularly good for a number of things. And one of the things I think it's great for, and there's all kinds of great reasons to say, well, I read the King James as opposed to something else has to do with uh, which of the original documents it was based on and which were older and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the great things about uh, the King James is that I think it's kind of noted for its more or less beautiful and artful language, its way of conveying the word of God in a way that seems... Uh, seems like poetry. And I think we need to remember that you know, God created art and poetry the same way he created people and lions and trees and all these other things. You know, God created those things. So he's, he's the author uh, of art. He's the beginning of art, beginning of, of um, uh, poetry, literature, all those types of things. And, and the great thing about art, I, I believe, is that it doesn't, doesn't necessarily intend to convey uh, all the absolute detail of everything, but its, its real intent is to inspire you, to give you a sense of something that goes beyond the simple, the, the what's, what's present before your eyes, uh, and convey something uh, deeper, more beautiful, more thought-provoking, more inspiring. And that's why I think that, that art is actually very important to us. Uh, it helps generate those things and push us on. And as you know, I love to bring uh, art here to church with me, so you're going to get treated to a little bit more of that today. Uh, but once again, I think the critical thing is when something is done artfully, uh, it tends to be done in a way that is inspiring, that makes you you know, want to kind of flow along with it. So today, we, we did uh, just sing Psalm 5, 1 through 3. You may not have recognized it when you heard it, but those words, once again, were from the King James. And once again, another great thing of the King James, that's the only way you can sing Scripture is it has to be from the King James. Uh, it's just not possible when they've reconverted the words and put them in the plain English. It just doesn't come out 
quite so well. So let's, let's just read again. And I'm going to start off. It's, it's introduced in the scripture with the following. To the chief musician upon Nahalot. Now, Nahalot is not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture, but it's thought to be basically a wind instrument of some sort. So if you can imagine, as opposed to a group like this playing, the song might have been sung with one person playing the flute. Certainly a different uh, setup. But uh, once again, uh, that's what this particular thing is thought to be. And it says, uh, a psalm of David, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation, hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Amen. Father, we thank you for your words. Uh, Lord, we see so many different things in your scripture, but we in these days are studying the Psalms that were used to worship you. And Lord, we just see so many wonderful things in them. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through these three verses today. Lord, and do a work uh, in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, taking us uh, ever onward. Amen. So, this is a Psalm of David. Uh, can I try again now? Yeah? The magic of electronics. There we go. So, are we going to have to work this way, or do you want to you try it? Or Okay. So, we're going to start off with, once again, a little bit of artwork. Uh, this is David, as portrayed by Michelangelo. Uh, this is actually a 12-foot... Um, marble statue. It's cut from one solid block from beginning to end, uh, a, a, uh, a statue that conveys uh, beauty, uh, it conveys youth, uh, and it conveys, I think, strength. I mean, that David is really, in modern day terms, we might say ripped. Now, you couldn't, that's not in the King James, you know, but, but David is, is really, uh, once again, 12 feet of solid rock. And the, and the incredible thing, of course, in sculpting out of, out of marble is you essentially couldn't make any mistakes. It wasn't like, you know, you're working with clay and, yeah, we got a little problem here, we push this back, or we... Like, I have a brother-in-law that does non-representational art, which means he paints things that don't look like anything. So nobody can, nobody can really criticize what he does, you know. But he goes over and over and says, no, I don't like that. He goes back and he puts some more paint on and so on. But this, when Michelangelo saw this piece of rock, I think it had already been turned down by lots of others. The idea of trying to work with this 12-foot slab was certainly very challenging. But he went ahead and he did the whole thing. It's all one piece. The arms, the legs, everything are all one piece that he's uh, carved out. And once again, it just gives you this sense of, of beauty, strength, and uh, uh, youth. Uh, now, let me try again now. Nope. Okay. Now, this is Donatella's David. Now, for those of you who were born just a few years ago and thought that Michelangelo and Donatello were only Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that is not the case. <laughs> These guys actually were artists from the Renaissance, thought to be great sculptors and painters. This, so this is Donatella's 
uh, portrayal of David quite a bit different. In fact, the only similarity you might see in them is the fact that for some reason they portrayed David as having fought Goliath, not only without Saul's armor, without anything, okay, <laughs> except for, as you can see in this case, this cute little flowered hat that Donatello <laughs> thought uh, maybe David wore. And all you can figure from that is that when Goliath came to fight David, he was distracted by the laughter as, <laughs> as uh, anyway. So Donatello was a great artist. Okay, let's go to the next one, please. Now, this is Ber- Bernini's David, uh, which is the one I think for me means the most, says the most, because not only in this family-friendly hour can I show you the whole statue, uh, but it's David in action. You see this little bag where he kept the stones. He's got you know, a little bit of beard. Uh, certainly, he's in the middle of throwing the stone uh, and uh, so on, whereas actually... The Donatella version, I think his foot's on Goliath's head on the ground with the little hat and so on. So <laughs> anyway, so these are different portrayals, uh, mastery of, of sculpting uh, from the Renaissance. Now we're going to, did you push that or did I do that? You did that? Okay. Okay, so we're going to have to work together, I guess, here. Uh, so going back to David's again, once again, this is, uh, I think, just a really incredible uh, feet by Michelangelo. It's said that when he uh, sculpted out of marble, he basically looked into the stone and tried to pull out what he saw there, as opposed to starting off and just trying to fashion it in some way. Because with the various faults and so on in the stone, if you didn't go the right way, of course, the head fell off and so on. But once again, out of all three of these, the one thing that we can be assured, they tell us different things about David, But one of the things that we can be assured is that every one of them, the models were Italian. So as you look at David, and if I stand kind of like this, you know, my wife has told me there is a slight resemblance. Uh, So uh, anyway, so so this is David who who spoke this uh, particular uh, message. So let's head on over to the the actual scripture, and we're going we're to start in verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Okay, once again, it's, it's important for us to understand as we go to the Lord, uh, as we seek him, as we utter our prayers, that we believe that he is going to hear our words. Okay, the scripture talks about idols, and one of the things it says about them is that they cannot hear. They cannot see also, they cannot speak, but in fact, they can't hear you. So when we create gods, whether it's out of wood or stone or bread or the various things they used to use, or even out of our own imagination, the reality is they can't hear us. But our God is one who can hear us. And as we go before him, it's interesting that it talks about hearing our words, but also hearing our meditation. Now, we in our, in our era, we've come to associate meditation with kind of Eastern cultism, with, you know, twisted limbs, with sitar music, you know, all these types of things. That's what we tend to consider to be meditation. But the reality is meditation is the concept of thinking, pondering, considering, wrestling with 
these ideas and concepts of God, even listening to him as you are speaking, then also listening. And the scripture uh, does tell us, it says in Psalm 19, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So our communication with him is always both in spoken word and in this listening, meditative pondering uh, where we can hear him. Now, a lot of times in meditation, I encourage you, it takes some separation from all the things that are going around. It's often hard to hear when there's lots of racket and noise. I actually found when I was a young believer that putting on a headset and turning up the music loud somehow opened whatever was going on, God had going on in me, where I felt like I was, I was cut off, I was separated and so on, and I could actually hear. Other people like very soft music, and you know, today we've got a lot of what people refer to as new age music. Now, I'm not sure that there's anything really linked to new age philosophy necessarily. It's another form of music. But, for instance, if you want to go out and sit at the ocean, just something about the roar of the surf sitting out there, even in the dark, just you can sit and you can listen, you can ponder very quietly. I personally like, uh, have really enjoyed when I've had the opportunity to go to the cathedrals of Europe where there is this cavernous place where you might be one of three people, since there's not all that many believers left in Europe, there might be one of three people in there, but there's just something about it. You have this, the sense that God is speaking to you and everything else is separated away. So I would encourage you, find that place of meditation where you hear the word of God. Do not neglect that. Prayer is not just about talking to him, but it's about listening also. Can we go over to the next one? Now, the second portion of this, hearken unto my voice, the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. It's, it's significant here that David is saying, Lord, listen to me. Now, once again, when you think of the idea of going to the King, going to God, and saying, listen to me, there had to be a relationship there that opened that door. Because certainly, at this time in history, you just didn't go to the king and say, listen to me. In fact, certainly it's recorded uh, in the scripture that even the wives of the king didn't get to talk to him unless he asked them to come in and talk to them. So the idea that David not only recognized who God was, recognized his kingship, but had something of a relationship that he was able to say, Lord, listen to me. It's significant. It's an opening, it's an opportunity, it's a door that we can walk through as believers as David walked through it. Now also, he then says that it's going to be unto the Lord that David is going to pray. There's no one else. He's not going to seek everybody else's help. It's God that he goes to. And for us, once again, the question is not who do we go to first, which is important, but who do we go to at all? Okay, God is the one 
that we have to take our issues to, take our troubles to, take our concerns to. He's the one that wants to work in our lives. Now let's go over to the third verse. And I'm going to spend most of the time uh, here. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Now here, the thing I like about this particular part is the idea of going to God in the morning. Now the funny thing about it is, historically, if you have children, when do you sit down and teach them to pray? I mean, traditionally, it's as they're getting ready for bed, right? So they're, they're praying at the end of the day, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, but the idea that we've, in the end, taught our children that you pray at the end of the day leaves all that stuff that's passed over during the day. And maybe it's intended to convey a sense of security as they go to sleep, and I think that's important. But wouldn't it be an interesting idea to start the day with prayer? Even if it's just as you get out of bed saying, Lord, guide my steps today. If you're you're like me, I get get up at 4.40. I have a bus to make at 5.35. And I don't get a lot of time first thing in the morning. But just to start the day saying, Lord, I give this day to you. Lead me through it. I think it really does set the day. It sets our mind straight as to who we're looking for and what our lives are about. Now, the part I want to end with, I want to talk about in a little uh, bit more detail, is why do we look up? What's the significance of finishing off this set of verses with that? Is God up? Well, Psalm 139 uh, in 7 to 10 tells us, where can I go from your spirit Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. So we know for a fact God is not up in the sky. I mean, that's not where he's not limited to that. He is, in fact, everywhere. But this is the artful part of this. The idea of up is a symbol. It's an idea. It's a concept uh, to encourage us to look deeper. It's not just physically looking up, but it conveys something much more than that. It conveys a lot more than that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what Uh, I see that as conveying. So if we could go to the next one, Justin. First of all, uh, once again, it's the idea here, the symbolism here. We have lots of symbols in the scripture. We have communion. We have baptism as a symbol. The idea of a lamb being sacrificed is a symbol ultimately of, uh, of God being sacrificed and so on. So God, once again, is the author of this concept of providing us with symbols that mean something far deeper than the specific thing we're looking at. So in looking down, I think it's important God is wanting to work in us to to bring about an attitude, a thought, a kind of a provocation from going from looking down to looking up. 
So the first thing is that looking down focuses us essentially on one point. Now, if you, if you believe in science and what gravity is all about, gravity is pulling us all toward one central point in the middle of the Earth. So it doesn't matter if you're in China, the United States, wherever you happen to be, if you're looking down, you're essentially all focusing on the same point. So the idea, the idea of down is one that brings about a focus and narrowing of our vision. On the other hand, the idea of up is expansive. There is no end. You know, as, as one famous American said, talking about to infinity and beyond, uh, okay, that's what up is about. Never ending, all, no limit, no bound, that that's the nature of God. He's not one point, he's everything. Okay, so it's important that when we think about it, we change our ideas, we begin to think of God as he is. Think up, because he is so expansive, without bound. Now also, as we look down, what do we see when we look down? Spiritually, we see the miry clay that he just pulled us up out of. Okay? So that as we are looking down, we're focused on where we've been, what we've been stuck in, all the problems and issues that God drew us up out of. And he wants us, once again, to look up, conveying the concept of our future, where we go with him, what he's going to do in our lives, not to focus on, man, I was, you know, man, I was just really, really bad. There's a scripture that I was drawn to uh, in Ezra, and I think I'll find it here. It says that Ezra says, he prayed at one point, he said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. So here's Ezra, you know, a great man of the Bible, not having yet seen, of course, the coming Messiah, but one who could not lift his head for the sense of this oppression of their own sin and what that had done to them. But that's not God's choice for us. He doesn't want us to be oppressed by our past and where we've been. He wants us to look up toward him and to our future. Now, another really interesting thing about looking down is that when you're looking down, you're looking down oftentimes at other people. Okay? Now that's what's got a positional thing, a picture, an image, a symbol. Uh, but the reality is if we're looking down at those folks, do they get the gospel message very clearly? No, they're not looking at us. They see us looking down at them. That's the concept oftentimes referred to as self-righteousness as we look down on other people. One of the things that fascinates me most about Facebook, and I don't know if you're a lot of you I know are on Facebook because you friended me, and I friended you back. So uh, that's a good thing, I guess. Uh, but uh, anyway, one of the interesting things on Facebook is it does serve as a platform for everybody to tell how stupid everybody else is. Okay. 
particularly the politicians, you know. And it's just amazing how much, you know, there's been stored up in us that wants to, to rant and say, these guys are really idiots. Now, I hope they don't call me and ask me to come up and take their place in Congress or whatever. I'm not sure I would do that great a job. But once again, looking up, instead of looking down at everybody else, looking up means drawing our eyes unto God and his greatness. So once again, as you think of up, think of that. The last thing I want to mention is that the concept of looking down conveys a picture of fear and submission. Okay, now there's a story in Joshua, I think it's Joshua 10, that where they, the Israelites captured like five kings. And basically Joshua says, bring them out of the caves, wherever they were, and they put them on the ground, and they put their foot on the neck of each of those kings. And that was, at that point in battle, that was the symbol of your victory, of their being forced under your power, where their face was in the ground, and you were going to stand there with your foot on their neck. That is not the relationship that God has called us to. Now, uh, a lot of you have dealt with children. I, for a number of years, had some. Uh, They've now become something quite different than I expected, a little bit bigger, and uh, have more hair than I have, and but they can't, they're not quite as close to the, the David as I am. But uh, anyway, but training children is such an amazing experience. And I used to coach baseball teams and that kind of thing also. And I remember in, in working with some of uh, the other children, I could go up and say, you know, your glove is supposed to be turned this way, not that way. And they would go like this. The idea of being corrected by an adult, even if you're just trying to help them, it was amazing how their eyes would turn away from someone who was trying to help them. Now, sometimes, my kids weren't perfect. I know most people think they were. They weren't. Even even Eric was not perfect. Um, But anyway, we had to discipline them at times. And it was not, uh, it was a painful experience for me. Um, I know it was painful for them too, but uh, it was painful. But the most wonderful thing in doing that discipline is coming to the end of it and being able to hug them and express your forgiveness to them where once again, they would look up to you. Because where, when man, when you say, it's time to go, we're going to get the rod or whatever. You're, man, the head goes down. You know, they're, they're ashamed. They're, you know, they don't want to look you in the eye. But that point you get to in the restoration of your relationship when they can look at you again and understand that they are forgiven, that's what the relationship is that God wants for us. It's, it's well and good that before God, we do learn to bow ourselves. We learn to acknowledge our sin. That is incredibly important. But in the end, and in our walk on with God, we have to be able to look up and look him in the eye and say, you know, we're going on together. You know, give him a big hug. Say, Lord, take me where you want me to go. 
So that's the nature of his calling. That's why as we come to him and we pray that ultimately he calls us to look up. It's just a symbol. doesn't necessarily mean have to be like that, but it can be like that as a way of expressing that symbol. But in the end, I believe looking up conveys these concepts. It conveys that you are relating to God with a hopeful expectation. I think Justin mentioned a few weeks ago that the word hope in the scripture really conveyed that concept uh, that this is someone that we look to, we can look in the eye with hopeful expectation about where he's going to lead us. And I'll tell you, when children can look at their parents, can look at their grandparents, I mean, what a wonderful experience when you have that kind of love. Now, we're going to spend a few more minutes, just to close here, uh, looking at a few more things. Uh, Once again, keeping your mind on this idea of looking up. Uh, The first one is the Sistine Chapel. Now, the Sistine Chapel is actually a small place. It's not considered a cathedral. Uh, It's kind of an afterthought of Italian uh, architecture and so on. But the interesting thing is, is that this is the roof. So when you go in there, your eyes are not drawn to the walls at all. There's benches along the side. There's some woodwork and so on. But your eyes are immediately drawn to this, to this uh, painting that probably runs, I would say, maybe twice the length of this room. And it's way up in the air. And, of course, here, this one little part is, you know, God creating life with, with Adam and so on. Right there at the beginning, this tells all kinds of biblical stories across this roof so that the, when the room's full, everybody's just standing there looking up at this wonderful, wonderful uh, picture. Okay, next one, please. Okay, this is, this is the Duomo in, in Florence. And once again, this is a, uh, the, the center of it. And I'm not sure if you're aware, there are, there are differences in architecture that occurred over the years. And some of those differences are actually based in uh, belief systems and concepts and so on. So that, for instance, if you go to Protestant churches, uh, certainly across the United States and many other parts of the world, you will see they're built quite differently than most Catholic churches, or at least traditional Catholic churches, or Eastern uh, churches. The Protestant churches tend to be focused on somebody who is ministering the word of God, the truth of God from the front. All the seats are aimed at that particular person. Uh, you know, certainly in the early days of this country, the people preaching were you know, up there looking down on the rest of us. You know, and, uh, but that's where the focus was. And they often had a steeple on the outside. And that steeple artistically symbolized God's coming down to earth the Spirit of God coming down to earth and ministering to people in that congregation. Now, Catholic churches and many of the the churches of of Europe are built quite differently. Uh, First of all, they're all built in the shape of a cross, uh, once again, carrying that symbol with them. And as you walk up that first long section as you go in there, once again, there's, that's where people uh, sit and so on. You can sit out there and you can listen to the sounds coming from the rest of it. But in the center of the church 
is where uh, the cross is where the ministry goes on. Somebody gives a homily, somebody gives communion, those types of things are at the center. But that's not the end of the church. That's in the center. The actual altarpiece and a lot of the grand artwork are further up beyond that. And there are you know, pieces on the side and so on to form this cross shape. But the interesting thing is that when you get up there in that middle section, they're made with these beautiful, beautiful domes. So that as you get in there, they just draw your vision up into the heavens and you see, once again, the stories of the Bible painted in, in great detail. I mean, you actually could go week after week and look at each individual part and get story after story. But this is the main cathedral uh, in Florence. So can we go to the, the next one? Now, this is St. Peter's Dome uh, in the Vatican, slightly different uh, thing, but you can see the light, you can see the, the sense of how, you know, this is like a central thing, that your eyes are actually drawn up, and that was done intentionally, that that's what, when you got there, your sense was to look up unto God. Next one over. Now, this is a bit of a close-up, just to show you how detailed the work gets. I mean, each one of these is a picture from a biblical story. Uh, next one, please. And then, of course, this conveys as the light moves around, these beams of light pour in through various portions of this dome. And it's, just, it's inspiring because, once again, it draws you to the sense of the greatness and wonder of God as we look up. Next one. Anybody know where this is? It's the Naval Academy Chapel. Uh, and when we go there once in a while, usually on Christmas Eve, you can't help but look up and sense the glory of God in the heavens. I mean, it looks like the heavens uh, when you're, you're in there. So, uh, last one, please. Now, I had to do a little bit of modern art, okay? Um, it's not quite, to me, as inspiring, but uh, anyway, this is a little bit of, of modern art. So, once again, uh, God is encouraging us to... Go beyond where we were, to go beyond thinking of where other people are, uh, to go beyond looking at something that is very limited to something that's expansive, and that's him. But ultimately, he wants a relationship with us that's built on looking into his eyes, looking up into his eyes with hopeful expectation, and he's going to take us on in doing that. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep.